We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal makes shocking revelation that all you need to do to get players to start scoring goals is not give them a contract. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. An early morning recording for us today, so uh, I've got the full cup of coffee sitting here. Last time I did that, spilled it all over the MacBook. We'll see if that happens. Um, just the the kind of morning that says, let's give you a quick, punchy, fun podcast and get out of here for a couple days for the holiday. Um, we will be doing, obviously, Boxing Day stuff. But uh, for those of you who are getting ready to celebrate Christmas, I wish you a very Merry Christmas. For those of you who aren't, I wish you a very Merry this time of year and uh, and Happy New Year and all of that nonsense. And if you are operating on a different calendar, then I wish you a happy this time of the year, whatever that is. The point is, I hope all of you are happy and well and doing okay and being safe out there and just generally enjoying your life and enjoying Arsenal being a hell of a lot of fun right now. So uh, we will have a, a special message coming out uh, in the next couple of days. But other than that, should be hopefully pretty quiet. I, I do want to give a special shout out and thanks to the man uh, known in the Discord anyway as Cornballer, uh, a fellow uh, university graduate uh, colleague of mine who does an aggregator news network in our Discord. And he posts all the dubious transfer rumors and general Arsenal news. And when you're recording a podcast early in the morning and you don't have a lot of time, going in and checking what he's posted, uh, it is a lifesaver. So a huge, huge thank you to him. Yeah, uh, another fun game. Arsenal swatting away inferior competition, which is what you're supposed to do. And here to discuss that with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pencil. Pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. I think what I'd like to do, rather than discussing, like, the game, because, like, the game was what it was, right? Like, Sunderland are good in League One. They're doing well there. I thought they set up pretty well. They had a decent plan. Talent-wise, they weren't good enough, and it is what it is. I'd rather go into the individual performances specifically and what they mean, because we're going to need some players in the next few days and weeks and things like that. And we're going to need to make some decisions about players' futures in the next few days and weeks and, and stuff like that. So we'll we'll peek ahead to Boxing Day and some of the challenges going on with fixture congestion and so on. But let's start with just a little bit of player analysis. And the first one, Clive, I think is just Eddie and Kedia. I don't think there's any getting away from it. Hat trick for Eddie and Kedia. He hasn't had a chance to play much for us. But when he has played, 
He's done basically what has been asked. Um, the Everton game, I think people were surprised and maybe upset that he came on ahead of players with a future at the club when it was presumed he doesn't have one. But he played well in that performance. He has a hat trick in this game that goes from sort of a, a William Gallus level goal for the first one to a pretty sensational third one and an increasing quality among them. I guess I could have said a Danny Welbeck level goal. I don't know why Gallus came to mind. Um, but more of the story is that the goals got better and better and the player had a great game. And I think it, it is a different situation from the Lacazette situation. He's young. He's English. He could be pretty good. We could be losing both of our senior strikers in the summer. And so now there is this discussion, right? Like, do we lose him for whatever a tribunal gives us? Do we try to induce him into a contract knowing that it's a slight gamble on not having seen it yet from him. But I find myself a lot more open to the idea that keeping Eddie and Kenya around and not losing him for free and having a young English striker in the team so we can go out and get one next summer as opposed to maybe needing to get two even. Um, yeah, I can see the argument for it. So do you want to maybe speculate a little bit about Eddie and Kenya's future and, and generally just sort of the fact that he has looked pretty darn good whenever he does get the chance to play? Yeah, I, I tend to, I'm okay with losing strikers. It doesn't bother me. I, I look at this group and think we haven't done enough. We haven't scored enough. Some of that people say is the system and how we play, etc. But I don't think we score under pressure enough versus the best teams. So Eddie looked great against um, Sunderland and he looks good in his competition. And you can see a definite improvement in him. Physically, I can see a definite improvement. And the fact he played out wide versus Everton and looked okay, even though I misread the performance initially. The reason why I misread it is because he missed the crucial chance to score, which would have won us the game that we ended up losing. And and I can't and I think for me he's yet to deliver on the bigger stage when we really need him to. So I have that little 5% in my head that says, you know what, here's what it is. He's played a, he's played a perfect card for him. I heard an interview the other day, actually, with, with Arteta on, just on Radio 5, and he said, let's talk about Eddie, and he said, we planned for him not to be here, and he ended up staying. I thought, just that little line explained a few things. Now, we know Palace came in for him with a £10 million offer, Arsenal accepted, he didn't go because of wage breakdown. He ended up staying. So because of that, Balogun goes and joined 23s. Uh, Kido Taylor-Hart, who's under 23 player that did sign a contract, is on the bench sharing time Balogun on the left-hand side. And that's why you get a bit of a roadblock, right? So yeah. I think Eddie's doing right by him. He's not doing right by Balogun, who we're now judging. He hasn't had the minutes and the exposure with the first team. And so now he has to go out. So that's how careers can cause problems for each other. So for me, I like where Eddie's becoming right now, but I'm also ready to move on with our strikers. And, I'm, and I could do with, you know, I mean all four, if they have to. I include Pepe as well in that. And if they have to go and we have to promote one next year and buy two, I, I can deal with that. You know, I can I can definitely deal with that. I think with European football, I think Paul said the other day, which is very smart, I think um, there will be games for the, for these players to develop again. And I think it's, it's, it's right. Whatever European competition we're in, we need we need to be in one that allows us to have an opportunity to play Eddie. And, that, and that's if I'm him, I'm looking at that. If Arsenal in Europe, I have a chance to play a good amount of games. If they're not, maybe Brighton, 
already for me, and that makes a lot of sense for him. Yeah. I, so the thing is, right, like this is what's going to sound crazy, but it's not easy to produce striker talent from uh, academies, it turns out. Like, is Eddie Nketiah the most successful academy striker we've produced in 25 years, 30 years, 40 years? I mean, what, who name a more successful academy striker. I can't. Um, it's it's not easy. And I think this perception, Paul, that, you know, oh, well, you know, we'll move Nketiah on and it'll be Balogun. Well, why will it be Balogun? Because we've heard his name and he's good at the reserve level? Like, th- this is the thing. Yeah, it's I, rare I think, air. It's it, rare it is air. rare air. And I mean, the the <laughs> level of competition, I mean, you'd expect a Premier League player to dominate League One opposition, but they don't all do it. Um, I mean, Balogun, who, you know, bright talent, hope hope that he comes good and all that. But like, I wouldn't say he had his way out there. And, and Eddie and Ketty, I mean, granted, you could say, well, there were three close-range goals. Well, you got to move for him. You gotta, I mean, let's not pull him apart. The point is, he did score a hat trick. He did create lots of chances and have goal chances against Everton, too. And while, look, I think anyone who's listened to this pod knows I've never really believed that Enkedia is going to make it at the highest level. But I think I'm, you know, I'm I'm willing to update my priors and say that a guy who can do some of the stuff he can do can be a part of our Premier League squad. Can he be a crucial part of it? I don't know. So then it's down to what this guy wants from his own future because, you know, outside of the Premier League, wages are what they are. I mean, he could make a better living, arguably, being a backup and a squad player at Arsenal than starting somewhere else. But it it depends what your ambitions are. So this all gets a little bit more complicated because, Paul, we're not talking about putting a 30-year-old Lacazette on, you know, 200 a week to go be our next Aubameyang. We're talking about a 23-year-old English player on maybe, let's say, forty or 60000 a week to just stay in the squad at a time when the position is probably going to fully turn over. And, oh, by the way, when, if it's not working out, then maybe Martinelli gets a shot there and we still have Saka and Smith-Rowe and Odegaard. And so, you know, it's the, the cupboard isn't exactly bare. I, I think he deserves credit for having been as good as he can be in the opportunities he's been given. And it wouldn't... If if we do the right thing, which in my mind is not giving Lacazette a contract, you can absolutely talk me into the idea that keeping this guy in the squad, if if that suits his ambitions, is yeah. is worth it. Right. So here's some. Uh, I think that's all very well phrased. Um, I tried to say in the instant reaction the word barbell, and I had some difficulty with it. But I think we have a bit of a barbell problem in terms of the games he's played. He's either played for us. Uh, let's take last season in in the first half of the season. He played quite a bit for us, but we were terrible. Uh, we didn't play in the final third. He's a final third player. Um, so we have that judgment of him. And the other judgment we have of him is he's played lots of easy games and scored tap-ins and good goals. But like, what does it mean? And we haven't had those games in the middle tougher games where we actually play well in the final third and see what Eddie can do for us now. So we really have this challenge of evaluating him. The manager will have seen more of him in training. Apparently seems to really like him and like he's done a lot of work with us. He worked hard at Leeds under Bielsa in terms of their system, doing a lot more than penalty box finishing because uh, he was trying to replace Bamford, so he was developing game and his game and starting to get some time under Bielsa before he came back. And under Arteta, Arteta's asked a lot of him, and we've seen him, especially in that first half of last season, having to do a lot of work in terms of build-up, 
running around, joining the play, then getting back into the box, kind of the, the current Lacazette role to a degree, um, but not in a very good team. And so it's hard for us to evaluate him. But I think the other thing we might be a little off on is that we're, we think, oh, what kind of striker would we like? But it's really what kind of striker would we like? Yeah. Um, Arteta, uh, I'm sure Arteta would love a Lukaku, and we were apparently very interested in Tammy Abram. So he'd like a striker striker, <laughs> but he'd pr- probably also like a player along the lines of a Gabriel Jesus or one of a number of other players who've played at City as a striker who are maybe not the kind of Lukaku, Tammy Abrams, DCL mode that he's had the chance to work with, develop, do different things. He's played him off the wing. He's played him on the right. He's played him on the left. Uh, he's asked him to do all sorts of things uh, as a striker for us in terms of the, the kind of role he played. So I think he could, Arteta could really fancy uh, Eddie Nketi as kind of his developed project to be a very flexible kind of striker who does lots of different things and then gets into the box into the six yard box on the end of things but is flexible enough to rotate with wide players is smart intelligent good movement like he just we may be evaluating him as the classic striker is this what we really need and Arteta saying I could do one of those with one of those guys I'd like a Tammy Abrams or a DCL and I'd like an Eddie and Katia to play different kinds of games, different kinds of roles. Yeah. I mean, I think we should also factor in that the best football Arsenal have played under Mikel Arteta is football where, with Alexander Lacazette at striker, dropping in, moving all over the place, coming into midfield, letting the wide forwards sort of make more central runs in behind. And so if that's the best football we played under Mikel Arteta it's fair to say that he may want a younger, fresher striker who can do all of that and then maybe just that extra 10% that Lacazette can't or, you know, at this stage isn't doing. But that's that's another question altogether. Look, I think with Nketiah, the one thing I find about Mikel Arteta, Arsene Wenger would say things, and it was nonsense. Like, utter nonsense. I don't, I don't mean that as a criticism. <laughs> I mean, Arsene Wenger would say whatever was expedient for him to say, right? Like, I mean, if, if he told you we're not signing a player, it probably meant we were or we weren't. If he told you he liked the player, it probably sport, meant he did. Though, wasn't he did. It? It was oh, yeah, it was sport. great trying to figure out what the heck he meant. But I do think Mikel Arteta, to his credit, if you think that deserves credit, tells you what he thinks. Like, I think when Mikel Arteta says, no one loves Gabriel Martinelli more than me last season, I don't think he's lying. Look at the hug he gave him at the end of last, uh, um, against uh, Leeds. You know, when, when he says... I've wanted Eddie Nketiah to stay. Like, I think that's borne out by the facts. Like, he didn't let him go on loan when he probably should have last January. I think he really likes the player. I think he does feel bad that he can't give him more opportunities. I think it's credit to Arteta that he isn't giving him opportunities ahead of players who are better and and doing better. But yeah, I think he rates the player. I think he would like to keep him. And I don't know that it's the best for Arsenal to lose a player for a tribunal fee uh, who is 23 English and can score some goals. I, I I am not of the opinion that putting him on 60000 a week for another three seasons is going to wind up hurting Arsenal in the way that putting like a Lacazette on two hundred a week for another four seasons or five seasons could. So different situations that need to be handled differently. Another different situation, Clive, is Nicola Pepe. 
So there's a lot to this onion. And I think the by the numbers column from Scott is absolutely must read on the Sunderland game in terms of understanding a little of the context of how we're going to probably wind up discussing the Nicola Pepe game because I actually think Nicola Pepe had a stunning and fun second half. But I can also see the argument for why people were sort of frustrated with him in the first half, and the numbers bear it out in terms of progressive passes, uh, box entries. I'll bring all those up in a moment. There was a fairly frosty, would you call it a dap? Would you call it a hug? Would you call it a handshake at the end of the game uh, after Arteta had gleefully celebrated with some players? A fairly frosty moment with he and Pepe. He was asked about it, and he said, look, players who aren't playing aren't happy, and I wouldn't want it any other way, You know, which to be fair, is correct. You want your players unhappy when they're not playing. Clive, before we get to the stuff that Pepe does so well that makes you want to dream of him being a superstar for us, let's discuss the ways it's different. You know what was really revelatory for me? So I watched the Sunderland game. I saw Pepe do a lot of fun stuff. Then we rewatched the Leeds first half. And you could say that that Leeds team and that Sunderland team arguably are probably around the same level, let's be honest. But watching what Pepe did, especially in the first half, and the way the play some, sometimes slows down or he waits for the second defender to come to him or uh, tries to beat a man twice instead of just once. Like Then we watched Saka have a really, really good first half against Leeds and the way the first ball out of his feet straight forward you know, doesn't let the second defender get over there. What, what's your take on... And again, this is not going to be a knock Pepe segment because we're going to get to the stuff he did well. But in that first half in particular, what's your take on the difference in the way he plays that maybe is a challenge for him to get back in with Arteta because of that perhaps slightly, I don't want to just call it slower. That seems reductive, but it's a different way of playing. Can you articulate it in a way that's better than me just sputtering out uh, sentence fragments? (laughs) I'll give it a go. Um, Let's see. Yeah, so... Yeah, there's one word you could you could sum up the two of them. Well, one, I clearly can't. Uh, Saka <laughs> is is more aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. Shall we say? Oh, so you can't either. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's more aggressive in possession. So the first thing the, the first thing he does is he gets into his movements very quickly. And you know, once you do that, then your defender is now reacting to you. If you get into your movement slower, you're now waiting for defender to do something, then you've got to do something special. And by the time you're thinking about it, then people are coming over and then you've got to come out of that space because you've got people around you and that means we've got to go around the other side where we're going to have superiority there. And so in the first half, a couple of things were going wrong. Was that I think both the white men were taking a little bit too long to get into their movement. No drama, didn't lose the ball, just a little bit longer into movement. And I think also I think what's really important for Pepe and I sort of think you guys know me a while now. I hate, I hate saying this stuff, but I remember saying years ago, I'd like to see Pepe playing the Ozil position. And the reason why, it's all about his starting position. We have him in lane five. We know that he comes alive in lane four and he scores in lane three. It's as simple as that. So if I have this player, I say, okay, you can't do certain things, but you can do things around the box where you are very, very special with end product. So how can I get you near the box? Well, we have prioritised other people. And it comes back to Eddie now. I think Arteta puts a lot of store on your ways of working. If you're working very, very well for me, I may give you a priority in the positions. If you're not, then you're going to do what I need you to do. And for me, Saka plays that wide role better. Shock. Everyone agrees with that. But Pepe is very productive around the box. Is there room for... 
him to have minutes and time. Well, not if he doesn't do what he needs to do. So in the second half, if you notice, he was more aggressive on his running. His time position was slightly higher. He was getting the ball better for when Shaka came on. He was whipping the ball out to him. And suddenly, as obviously Sunderland tired, they're not getting the cavalry around that the fullback anymore. So now he's one-on-one. And his entry's running quickly, and we all saw that that fullback now has been retired and stopped playing football, right? So, so it's a, it's a, it's just a starting position thing. It's an aggression thing, and this is not a talent thing. It's an engagement thing. It's how much do I want to show my value, my influence? And for somebody who's twenty six, who's our top paid, well, one of our top paid players and our record ever transfer, I worry and I wonder about the value of him to the club. And by that, I mean accepting offensive responsibility, but also there's two sides of that coin, being trusted to accept that responsibility. And some of his better games have come when Aubameyang hasn't played. And I do feel there was a moment in his Arsenal career when we bought William, which I think really hurt him, really hurt him. I don't think it was required, I don't think it was needed. So although I get frustrated with him, I think we have not always treated him bang on perfectly. Yeah. But it's a classic example, mate. Starting position needs to be inside. I mean, and it needs to be, and he needs to be more aggressive. And and when he is, we get this right. So, Elliot, do you think we're going to bother with him next season? I'm not so sure. I think well, I mean, we, may have, we what, may have seen it all. In bother with him in what respect, though? Right? Like, I mean, because we don't totally control our destiny there. Right? Well, you know, do, do, I'm sure there will be buyers for him. He's got enough talent about him. And sometimes you look at a player, and I wonder, and I can ask myself, is he in the right club for him? We've never, we've never heard from him. He, he doesn't engage with the fan base per se. There was rumours very early on in his career that he was very much. Um, a quiet player, an introverted player, you know, very ghost-like, went away from training, no one knew where he went. And I'm looking at it thinking, you know what, sometimes you've got to say, you know what, maybe he doesn't suit us. We need something else. And we've seen we've seen something this summer with the players that we brought in and that having them engage with us, it means something. It makes us all feel different, right? So I think it's important that we look at these players now and look at their mentality and their character and how they impact you as a watching fan and how you feel about them. I think it's very important. These details are important. We all like to like the players. Right? And I think I think maybe Pepe needs to be somewhere where he is more liked and he'll feel happier. That's my gut feel. You know, I don't worry about replacing the talent. There's loads out there. You know, I can look at I can look at Cornballer's channel channel now, can't I, to find <laughs> out. But um, there's loads of players out there, mate. I've got twenty five of my head spinning around right now that I'm researching for January. Mm. I've I, got I, don't a, about, uh, I don't worry about it. I've got a monkey banging symbols together in my head right now. So, you know, <laughs> similar, similar. Um, always good good to throw a Simpsons reference. And speaking of Simpsons, Tim will be back on the pod quite a lot uh, starting next week and so on. He's traveling to Brazil to be with his wife's family. Um, and I'm glad they're able to make that trip. I, that was probably a touch and go there for a bit. So uh, I, I wonder yeah. how he celebrates Christmas being the, the pagan that he is, though. I would imagine it involves roasting some believers on a spit. I, I mean, hum, human sacrifice, right? I mean, yeah. that's that's how it's done, I guess, I, I would assume. Yeah. Um, okay, enough of that nonsense. Well, let, let's continue with the Pepe conversation. Paul, can we just for a minute – well, here. So let me, let me do the part that I can do, which is uh, reading numbers off a sheet of paper. In this case, a digital screen. Pepe comes to life in the second half from the by-the-numbers column from Scott – 
Three key passes in the second half. In the first, he had none. He winds up with two assists from 1.1 expected assists. Three three progressive passes in the second half. In the first, he had none. Um, five deep completions in the second half. In the first, he had three. Five successful dribbles on six attempts in the second half. No dribbles on three attempts in the first half. Um, you know, I, I think, and especially the progressive passes, like, it, it's just the fact that I think there are ways he's more effective, and, and Clive touched on it. There's also um, touch maps from Scott in the By the Numbers, and I'll describe each touch in the touch map. No, I'm kidding. It's a joke. But um, I did see them, though. Yeah, well, so the interesting thing is the first half, they're all basically pinned to the touch line. Mm-hmm. And in the second half, they're a lot more diverse. Some are deep. Some are in the dead center of the pitch. Some are left edge of the box, some are right channel. And I think when he takes up more central positions or varied positions and defenders have to try to track and follow it, he can be a nightmare. I mean, look, the second half showed you, and again, it's against League One opposition. So a lot of people say, yeah, the second half showed you that Nicola Pepe is good against League One opposition. I I think that'd be harsh. I think it shows you, I mean, some of the nutmegs, my goodness, (laughs) that's a lot of fun. It, It shows you that there is a player in there who can devastate, but... Can he be a part of a whole that is functioning as functioning as efficiently as the whole has been functioning lately with Saka in there? And and that for Arteta will be the real challenge and debate. I, I I'm curious. I mean, like, just from a purely fun standpoint, like he's a fun player when he's on it. But do you think he can fit the system consistently enough to to really click with Mikel? And maybe can you add? I'll throw one more little thing at you there on the frosty handshake at the end. And if you think there's a there there. No, I didn't think Arteta was that frosty on the handshake. Did you? I thought his smile went basically away immediately. But I mean, look, th- this is this is in the land of body language and, and armchair yeah. psychology. But like looking at the the, the gl- glint, glint in his eye with the other handshakes and the way it immediately evaporates like just during and post the Pepe one and the way Pepe looks like. And again, this yeah. is dangerous stuff because yeah. you don't, maybe he's like, Oh, I've just beat Sunderland in their league one. I better get the smile off my face. It looks unbecoming. Like, you know, I mean, who, who the heck knows? That's why I'm asking yeah. if you think there's a there there. I'm not saying yeah. I know that there is. You know? I don't know that there is. And Pepe's an introvert and he's on the spot and like, you know, Arteta smiles at him and then Pepe isn't smiling. So you don't want to over, you don't want to look like an idiot. You don't keep grinning. Yeah. Um, he moves on to the, like, I don't know if there's anything there. I very, like, it's not really in anybody's interest to be kind of communicating dissatisfaction. Like, I just don't, I just think he's not, he's not an extrovert. Let's put it that way. He, he yeah. might have a very challenging time next year with Lacazette gone and maybe probably Aubameyang gone. Like that's that's his crowd there, so if he's not super enjoying life at Arsenal this year, he might be super unenjoying life next year. Um, so that may be a factor whether he wants to be happy. On the other hand, will anybody pay him what we pay him? So then we get into that thing, and we'll be back in Europe hopefully, please God, and there'll be a lot more for him to do. Look, I thought he was like he didn't have a good first half, but then. Our we had a kind of a bit of a road. He was good when we were good, I think, in this game. Mm. Um, and like he wasn't terrible in the first half. He was just a bit frustrating. He was almost good in the first half, which is classic Nick Nicholas just Rusty. Just rusty, wouldn't he, Paul? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were a bit, and these guys didn't know how to play with each other. But of course, the one thing Pepe wants is other people providing 
movement threat around him so that they can pull a defender away so that he only has to beat five of them now, not six. And uh, he he can waltz, th- nutmeg the first two and then do something clever afterwards. Um, he Like, he's had a lot of time with Arteta and we're at where we're at, I think. Um, now, the second half of the season can open up for him because stuff happens. Um and people get an injury, and before you know it, you're off to the races, and he's the guy. Um, I, I, like the one thing that always sticks in my mind is that Clive has come up with solutions for how to use Pepe in different ways. Um, the problem is we are even in the kind of the more creative spaces. We have Odegaard and Smithrow looking for time on the pitch. Um, we have a player that's now developed on the left in Martinelli, so. We see him as direct competition with Saka. We've seen him being really good from the left. There could be creative things we could do with him in kind of more of an attacking 10 Lacazette role. But will he ever get the chance with the players we have who are playing? Um, He's just a really good guy when you counterattack and hit other teams on transitions. And we haven't done a huge amount of that as a team. And... To Clive's point, I don't think we're the right set. Like, Lille were a great counter-attacking side. They'd have three. It'd be like watching the Red Arrows air display, the plane shooting over your head, four or five different uh, aircraft interweaving, Nicholas Pepe being the aircraft on the right, weaving with the the attack, the center forward and the, the far winger, and they just mince the way of... Uh, through opposition of the pitch and we don't do that very often and it's probably where he's best and happiest Uh, but he's still a talented guy and the other hope I have for him is that Odegaard is starting to boss people around point orchestrate uh, kind of set up shop in that area of the pitch and maybe he can finally boss Pepe and the fullback into a, a coherent triangling that sets Pepe free and into the box and he starts banging in goals and we find a way. Yeah. The the thing I'll say about Pepe is that like, we're sort of into that land now of, well, maybe if we just use him this way, it'll unlock him. And maybe if we just use him that way, it'll unlock him. But like, and by the way, I don't mean that as, as a discredit to those suggestions because I'm in that, I'm of that mind too. There's a part of me that thinks the way Lacazette is playing striker is a way that Pepe can. He's actually pretty good at hold up. I do think he, can play a good through ball. You know, I I think he's hard to take the ball off of um, maybe not as much, you know, in the, on the edge of the box out wide, but in other areas, like there are times he gets the ball at the halfway line and he looks unstoppable. So, I I mean, I I am open to it, but there also comes a point where you have to admit, well, the manager's not doing that and he's had chances and he's had opportunities and he hasn't done that. So like, I don't know that we're going to see it and I don't know what the future is. My guess, and this is just a guess, if there was a way for us to sell Pepe for a fee that we regarded as acceptable, not just totally discarding him, I think we'd be open to doing it. If not mm-hmm. in January, then certainly um, in the summer. I think it's hard to sell a player who's off at the AFCON. So I, I think I think this summer we will entertain bids. And if we don't get what we need, then then, then I don't know. I, I, I mean, then the question is, will we try to find a role for him that is maybe is more of a striker instead of going into the market. I, I, I don't know. Um, so we'll just have to see how that shapes up. I don't want to move away from the Sunderland game yet, though, Clive. I, I want to touch on a couple other little pieces of it. 
One of them is um, just the Charlie Patino thing. I mean, we'll, we'll go to the end to to get to one of the bigger stories. I mean, yeah. I don't think we're going to see a lot of Charlie Patino. I don't think he did much in this game, and that's not a discredit to him. But he does score a nice second man run, uh, times his feet well, dives in with his, you know, to get his to get his foot on the ball and getting a lot of the headlines, getting a lot of press. It must be really like a really exhilarating, fun moment for him. This to me was a throwback to the days of the the League Cup under Arsene Wenger when players from the academy would would show up and impress. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean anything, but it's an amazing moment for him. Uh, I can tell you my personal reaction to it was a mixture of joy and sadness, happy for him but also sad for me at being so, so very old as I look at him. Um, so, yeah, what, what do you think of that moment in particular? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's great, actually, because he's a player that I've sort of known for half of his life, yeah, shall literally. we say. It's Not literally, half of ours, but half of his. <laughs> you know, I, I think I saw him as a nine, ten-year-old playing two years up at Luton Academy. So, um, wow. And basically he was just allowed to do what he liked which was very frustrating for the parents of the ones I knew that were two years older than him <laughs> he was allowed to just get on the ball and sometimes you do that at academy level to improve someone's personality so he's not he's not new to, to anybody in this area particularly around Luton um, so yeah and his talent at the England level has been he's on the England pathway no drama there uh, I, I read this week that you captain the under 16s at 14 for England wow. crikey um, he's grown significantly recently. I always say he needs to up his speed a little bit, but you know, I'm always saying that earlier, you know what I'm like. Um, yeah. so, but it's something that I know the club have worked on based on people I've spoken to. And he is, um, he is definitely one of the, you know, the golden children, shall we say that are coming through. No surprise to anybody that I've been reading about him. Very graceful, very lovely passes. Um, almost the game seems to be played at his pace. And it's going to be so interesting to watch him and what he becomes. Is he going to become a deep line midfielder, which I think he probably will do? Or will he play slightly higher up when he's younger just to get on the ball and have touches without responsibility defensively? It's going to be so interesting to see what we do with him. Um, what a great moment, right? We've In the old days, you talk about some of those academy kids. I heard James Bain say the same thing. Um, they were kids that we'd all love, but we didn't. We put them away like Lupoli and even when Bentner first came in, and all these young players. But now these young players are actually playing in the first team and scoring all the goals, right? So, um, so really to get an 18-year-old like this come through, there's a few more there, but obviously with the lack of European games, we're not quite seeing them. But there's a few more coming, as, as you know, Elliot. I think it's going to be such an interesting period for Arsenal Football Club when it comes to youth development. I think we really have a number of very interesting players yeah. to, to join a squad, which is very interesting full stop, you know? So it's going to be such a fun period the next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, the, the challenge, I guess you would say is as Saka and Smith Rowe and Odegaard and Benjamin White and Tomiyasu and Nuno Tavares and, and even Tierney, who I think is only like 24, 25, something like that. Um, 24, maybe, um, you know, as these players, Lakanga start to get to be 24, 25 into their prime, it's time to go win some stuff. And then what you want to probably do is add a 27-year-old to that group, a 28-year-old to that group, probably not integrate the next 21-year-old who's, th that's where it's going to be tricky, right? Like I, I think Saka and Smith-Rowe and, and Odegaard and Martinelli, the one thing that maybe we shouldn't overlook is it was the perfect time for 
them to come into the team. We weren't ready to win anything. We weren't ready to do anything. We were at the beginning of a new cycle. Uh, Tierney, by the way, is 24 years old, um, born June 5th, 1997, which uh, I just, just off the top of my head. Yeah. Can I tell you, just while you're on this period, because something I've been reading about and listening about recently, about ages of teams, right? So one of my favorite coaches is Eddie Jones, England rugby coach, right? So, and he said something very interesting the other day, and I and I'm and I'm wondering how it relates to Arsenal. And he's talking about the the modern game becoming a younger game in rugby, for example, a much more running mm-hmm. a running game. And I took that on a little bit, and I thought, okay, we've got we've gone quite young. But also, what he what he said was, there are moments in the game which you can teach people at a younger age, so you can almost coach away experience. And if you look at how coaching is done today, now coaching is always done, well, not always done, but recently, you, you do it in a way to make your players feel comfortable in certain zones on the pitch. They know what's happening. We all know about positional play, pattern play, all this sort of thing. That stuff has always existed, but now it's become a real mantra for many, many coaches, particularly at top level. And so you are literally coaching away decisions and experience decisions. So maybe what we are doing, because I, I actually feel what Arsenal are doing is incredibly interesting and I, I think we almost we were leading the way. We've had the fourteen youngest first elevens this season have all been out. They've all been Arsenal, so we are leading the way on this, dropping the age curve. And I'm, I'm, but we're seeing a level of performance, a level of intensity, a level of mobility, which comes from playing younger players. And I wonder when you say that twenty-seven year old, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm changing my mind, and I wonder if we'll keep seeding from below. Mm. You know, go stay young. Because think about it, we've got a young group, a young coaching group that are teachers. They may be happier teaching younger people to do certain things and have people like a Shaka, for example, who have the right ways of working for the coach to allow them to be the dads on the pitch. And I think just watch this space here, see how we develop in the summer, what we do. Because in my mind, I totally agree with you. A year ago, I said, we're a 26-year-old now, we're a 26-year-old striker. But I, I'm wondering what direction we will go in the next two windows. One to watch me. Can, yeah, can I, mean, I add a thought yeah, on that? Mm-hmm. Normally the problem with going so young is you have a bunch of kids in the dressing room. Like, uh, who was the guy, the uh, scout from, it was Brentford talking about how they actually had to go, they got a bunch of young guys, but they couldn't get above whatever was eighth in the league in the championship. <clears throat> and they were scratching their heads and they said, let's bring in some experience. They needed a few guys. They kind of bring, needed to bring in their they're party chaka kind of types, maybe not as talented even equivalently, just the experience. I think they brought in Pontus Janssen, if I'm pronouncing yeah, that right. right. And a couple of guys like that, because the young lads were all talking about who was at the disco. I don't know if they still have discos nowadays. No. Club and not, this, no. that and the other. You know, they had money in their pocket. Life was good. And like, that's what dressing room chat was about. So they needed to bring in some older heads who like reminded them to be unhappy when they lost games rather than life going good. And that's very often the challenge with younger teams. But when I look at our younger players, like you look across those guys and you got Tommy Yasu, you got uh, Ben White, you got uh, Martin Odegaard, et cetera, et cetera. They're all very, very serious young players. They're experienced young players, Paul. Look at their minutes. They've got experience. And I think that's the key. So experience may not be linked to age. It's linked to your world, Elliot, minutes, appearances, 
how you're exposed to the top five leagues, etc. I yeah. think that's where our recruitment has been masterful. And maybe it's all related because I also think they're serious and that's important. But they're serious and talented, so they've got minutes. If you if you know what I mean, the one's a reflection of the other, and I think that means we don't need to have a huge older like we don't need to have five or six old guys uh, who've been there, done it, and keep things serious. You, we might have enough for a while where Arteta doesn't feel he needs to go and get couple more Pontus Janssens in the mix anymore, (coughs) where he probably did kind of the first year or two. He probably wasn't wrong to think he needed experienced players, but somehow we've done both. We've we've brought in young, big characters who are talented, serious, uh, and have, like Ramsdale. I mean, look at the experience he has. Uh, A lot of people didn't like the particular kind of experience he was getting. But like he just brings it. He's he's played in these kinds of fixtures in this league. Nothing phases him. And you know, this is not your average 22, 23 year old crowd. So it means we may not have to balance it up with your Pontus Janssens to the same degree. Yeah, totally fair. And I mean, look, I there is also the point that it depends on the quality of the player, right? I mean, if you have yeah. if you said to me, all our players are getting into prime and we need to add, we're missing just the striker. And you're like, Hey, I'm going to bring in a 20 year old striker. I'd be like, no, what are you doing? Just bring in a, well, what if it's Erling Holland, right? Like, I mean, if they're good enough, it does not matter. Um, you would take that level of player. I, I just think that in general, as these teams grow together and hit the winning age, the age where it's time for them to not just say, can we get top four, but can we get one? Can we get a champions league? Then, if you say we're going to drop a central midfielder into the team who's 20, well, if it's Cesc Fabregas, fine. But if it's a player that's going to have ups and downs and, you know, struggle, then can that project that should win a title or should win a Champions League be a little unraveled by just lacking that one more senior piece? It it is purely philosophical for now. We don't need to go there. And and I do think, obviously, it is always quality that that is most important. So, look... We're, we're talking about some very young players, and so they will not be needing to use our sponsor. But you listening, you will be needing to use our sponsor because you have body hair, um, and so you will need to shave it. And like, let's face it, there is no better way to do it than the, the Lawnmower 4.0. You know, I've been talking about their colognes, vegan-free, cruelty-free, vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, paraben-free, all that stuff. I've been talking about their hair uh, and body wash, shampoo and conditioner, um, you know, I've been talking about the nail kit, but it is the lawnmower 4.0 that for me, like right off the bat immediately, I was like, this company makes a great product. And it is funny because I think when, when you think about products that seem silly or oh, the lawnmower manscaped, I get it. I get it. But almost all of us at some level groom our body in some way. And most of us probably use a tool that isn't really very good at it. And that's just silly. Like, if you're going to go into sensitive areas of your body with a blade, <laughs> like, you should have a good one. That feels like a thing you should have a good one. Um, so, why the Lawnmower 4.0? You get the ceramic blades. You get the skin-safe technology. So, fewer nicks and cuts and ingrown hairs and things that stink and you don't want them. Um, you get long battery life, wet, dry use. So you can use it in the shower. You can put the guard on and do your eyebrows or, you know, you can do your chest. You can do whatever area you prefer. You can let your partner do it. Put their initials in there, you know, claim that territory. 
There's no, nothing wrong with that. No judgments. We don't kink shame. It's whatever you want to do. Point is, it's got a button lock. It's got induction charging. So you just, you know, rest it in the cradle and it charges. looks really cool and slick. But like the battery lasts for ages and you can just keep it in the shower. That's what I do. You're going to love the thing. You're going to get 20% off. When you go to manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision. Manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision. 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Clive, is that enough of that? It certainly is. Yeah. That's I mean, my app one, actually. Flipping out. Same yeah, day. well, I mean, 20% off free shipping, Clive. Manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. Look, <laughs> there was no easy transition to come from like Charlie Patino and the Academy Kids to the lawnmower. So I, you know, it's not I just right, did, Elliot. It's not I just right. Did the best I could. I did the best I could. Um, so one thing that I, I think is worth talking about here, Clive, is just the ever improving Arsenal attack generally. And like, we are now up to, depending on where you look, I think fourth in expected goals in the league. Um, XG 90, we're, we're in that range too. Like, and that's not taking out the hammerings against Liverpool and Chelsea and city. That's with all the games combined. And like what we're seeing now is data that matches what our eyes are telling us, which is, it's not just that it's starting to look better. It is better. It is better. And we have sort sort of found something. And so the question I have for you is just, you know, Mikel Arteta has had so much disruption COVID disruptions and injury disruptions and red card disruptions. And he's found something. And the team is now playing the kind of football I think that we thought and hoped would be quote unquote Mikel Arteta football when we signed him. I was so excited for him to arrive because I kind of thought we'd see this kind of football. And lo and behold, here it is. Now you've got the AFCON. Now you've got fixture congestion. Now you've got, you know, potential COVID absences and COVID stoppages. And so there is a real challenge here for him. Let's look ahead at the fixture congestion, what we're facing. Watford's game is off for Boxing Day, which means when we play them, they'll be rested. We won't. We've drawn Liverpool in a two-legged semifinal of the League Cup where I, I'm really curious how, quote-unquote, seriously we want to take that because we know Klopp will play all backups. So it is a chance to get to a final, I think, if we want to take it, quote-unquote, more seriously than he does. But it is a rough six-ish weeks or so up ahead how do you look at Arteta trying to keep this going in the face of a really, really tough period and the absence of some players during the AFCON? Okay, and potential so COVID absences, too. Just to, just to correct you a little bit there. So Norwich game on Boxing Day, it's, at time of recording, it is still on. But right. Watford versus Wolves has been postponed. Which right, no, that's Wolves. what I'm saying. Watford's game is off, so when they play us... They will be no. rested. So, no? Yeah, okay, when okay. Wolves play us Wrong on the twenty eighth. Yeah, sorry. Wolves... So, yeah, sorry. When Wolves play us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to help you. I was trying to help you. I was wrong. You still in? I was trying to help you, and you still interrupted me while I was trying to help you out. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Just, just stop for a second. Let's be clear. What's important is that I knew what I meant. Okay? Exactly, exactly. I knew what I meant. So, where do you want to go this far? Because I'd love to talk about why the attack is better, and it's interesting when yep, you said do. there about. Uh, this is what I expected from Arteta's football, the attack where we are right now. And I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's a fair point. But that's how you see football, Elliot. You, you like the attack at the end of the pitch. That's where your eyes, that's where they go. Amazingly, that's where they go all the time. That's where you're looking. What are we doing around these areas? And that's your that's your want, right? So, well, I always look at the other end of the pitch. I look at the players that have the ball the most. They tend to be our defensive players and our goalkeeper. And, and so for me, I got excited when we signed Ben White and when I saw Gabriel out there. And obviously I was hopeful for Tommy Asu, but I didn't think he'd be this good. And obviously Tierney has been good for a while. And so for me, what you do at the back door of the pitch always 
dictates what happens at the front door. I felt at the front door we were, I thought we lacked mentality for most of you, our two elder statesmen. I don't think they are quite where they should be. I don't think they've taken us where they should do for their costs and for their wages. And I felt, um, I think we've misused some of our players a little bit in attack. But we have seen the emergence of a young group. And as soon as they've arrived, and they they are arriving and arriving very, very fast, and we've solidified the back end of the pitch, we can progress the ball into these areas a little bit more. So a few weeks ago, we were talking about our retention in the phase two of the build-up. We're not doing that anymore. We're a little bit better against some of the, the teams we played. And now we're getting in behind. We've got a better balance. We've got sprinters on the outside. So when people, for me, it's just coaching. Your ability to coach a principle and a style of play that leads to your attackers having the ball in the areas that they want. Mm. Then it comes down to execution in the final third and having the right intent and aggression, as we spoke to earlier, to do what we want them to do. Now, suddenly, we have players like Smith Rowe, Martelli, Odegaard, Saka arriving at the same moment with all of the things that we love. All they lack is time on the pitch. You know, and some man muscles in some cases. And when they arrive, the the league is in trouble. You know, it really is. And how we supplement this group and enable them to be even better is going to be the most exciting period of my recent watching Arsenal life. Because what these guys are doing at the age of 2021 is quite eye-opening. Right? So, So for me... Arteta coaching attack or us attacking better, some of it is in what we do in the first phases of the attack and having the ability to use our two feet and and, and quality of pass. And some of this is to do with the maturity of our attackers, bringing the right principles and skill sets which do move around top-level defences. Now, we still got a little bit more work in progress to do there, which we all know. So we can do it against the best sides. Because last time I looked at Anfield, we we didn't really do it. And you know, we didn't really do it against Manchester United as we should have done. So it's a step for this club to go through yet. But I find it incredibly exciting where we could be in the in the medium term, near term. I'm talking next six months to a year. It's going to be so interesting to watch. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think, Paul, that the... You know, the, the the mix is starting to feel a lot better. The one thing I'll say, you know, that's been fun to see against Leeds and against um, Sunderland, for example, is just how Granit Xhaka played when he's out there. Like, he, you know, he just, you give him a little time and a little space and he, he's just a killer. Um, you know, I, I like seeing that from him because I think it, it's a reminder that there are things in his game that don't always come out when he's, in, you know, severely pressurized by some teams in the Premier League. And, you know, you also get a sense, like, it's funny, right? Watching Balogun in the, in the Sunderland game, I think it is a reminder of how special, like, a Saka is or a Smith Rowe is because, and that's not to say Balogun was terrible or anything, but, you know, I thought he, he struggled a little bit to impose himself, and I think he really looked like a guy who wanted a goal, and so he was, you know, he was really pressing for that. But he's 20. You know, he's older than older than Saka, same age as Martinelli. Um you know, so I think it's a reminder of how special the attacking talent is. I mean, how do you think we navigate this next period now? Because, you know, you'd say, well, normally you'd say, okay, so like Aubameyang's going to have to come back in and and Pepe's going to come back in and be more important. But like, whether that be true or not, they're gone. They're going to the, to the African Cup of Nations. And then you say, well, you know, can we keep this going with someone like Balogun? I, th- I feel like that's a stretch. And so 
it, it is going to be a real challenge because I don't think you can just keep putting Saka and Smith Rowe, for example, and Martinelli out there for 90 minutes every game. How do you think um how do you think he solves a problem like the fixture congestion we have coming up with the players that otherwise might have been welcomed back into the group not even being available? Um I'm too optimistic for some reason <laughs> looking at it's People like we'll be shocked to hear yeah n- well it's not so much that it's just i know this is naive but it doesn't i'm talking myself into this might not be so bad like norwich and wolves that that's a challenge um but for the positions like our defense uh should be okay to to go for a couple of games our midfield at least with uh part with chaka like He's a guy who can play every couple of days. In fact, he doesn't get slower. Uh, he stays about the same speed. And uh, if Party's good for two games in a row and still around for two games in a g- row, great. If not, uh, hopefully uh, our boy Sambi is recovered um, and is eligible for potentially the second game here. But maybe we get up early against Narch City and maybe we've we planned a little rotation against Norwich so that we're keeping some players really fresh for the Wolves game. Um, so the the main issue for me is the Wolves game because that this congestion may turn a three pointer into a one pointer. Um, and especially and, with them being rested, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know if you were listening during the segment where I clearly and accurately explained the situation with that. Yeah, yeah, that they'd try they. Changed the name to Watford for a while. That had been confusing for people. Fan, fans did not like it. Nope. Mm-mm. No, people were confused, so they've changed it back. So that's the real navigation. After that, we got City away. Well, guess what? what? We we have already... City at home, Paul. Oh, City at home. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I guess we could get a point there, but it doesn't seem like they're giving points to anybody, so... It's mainly about performance, but hey, we might get a point at home against City. And then we got three cup games, uh, which which I think is great and an opportunity for a lot of people to play. And then after that is Spurs on the 16th. So we got to be ready for the 16th, basically. Uh, whatever we get against City, I hope we have a decent performance. And we got to navigate Norwich and Wolves. But in the areas of the pitch where we might get tired, uh, we've got a lot of options. We've got Smith Rowe Odegaard. We got Pepe Saka. We got uh, Martinelli and maybe Smith Rowe out on the left. He can't be in two places at the one time, but actually that boy probably can. So we got we got options. We got players. Uh, the one issue we probably have in the whole eleven that we can't cover across those two games with being smart is our striker situation and Lacazette. Like, he's getting fitter game by game. He's playing 88 minutes, 90 minutes now. But can he do two games back to back? I doubt it. So we might be using Eddie. Maybe Eddie starts against Norwich with his strong start here. And we keep Lacazette on the bench. He comes on for, for the last 30 minutes if he needs to do his famous cameo where he comes on and saves the day with 20, 30 minutes to go. Um, or doesn't because it's all going so jolly well. And Lacazette starts against Wolves, for example. I guess, I guess, I think those are the two games we really got to navigate, and that's where we might get a setback uh, in the league <clears throat> that yeah. we we couldn't otherwise reco- recover. I wonder. So, 
it's funny. He was asked if Aubameyang could play for Norwich, and he and he said he hadn't decided yet. I doubt it, but I wonder if he looks at Norwich as the last opportunity to use the African Cup of Nation players. Like Party will obviously start. I you know there's been some debate, but assuming they haven't gone yet, it wouldn't surprise me if he starts Pepe. If he says, "Look, I can use this guy one more time. He looked pretty sharp second half against Sunderland. I can give you know Saka one rest here and have him fresh." Um, the group is going to be Smithrow, Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli, Lacazette, and Kedia. That cluster of guys will be the attackers that try to get us through the period that we're discussing. In midfield, it gets a little trickier because it's Shaka and <laughs> like beats me. Yeah. I mean, Maitland Niles maybe um, beats me. So Isn't Sambi due to be back now. Yeah, um, he's he's just getting over COVID, so he'll be, he'll be uh, yeah, back that's right. yeah, he'll be. Sorry, I thought for some reason I was thinking injury, but it's just COVID. That's right. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, Sam, Sambi, Maitland Niles, and Shaka will be the the group for. Um, for 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 the midfield and then defensively, I don't think we have any major issues to no. worry about on that front, at least as it stands. But but I do think that it raises the question of whether we will go into the market in January. I'd like to finish with that. I don't want to talk about names specifically in this one, Clive. There'll be plenty of time for that. But do you think it could be a, an active market for for Arsenal in or out in January, especially in light of, hey, let's say we're sitting fourth and the window opens and we're like, there's a real chance of being a Champions League club here. If there's a move you can pull forward, I I think you know the even just purely economically set aside what fans care about, there's an argument that it's worth it. So how active do you think we might be to solve some of these issues in January? I think there may be one player coming in, maybe a loan to buy, um, and a lot of this comes to my mind because of Aubameyang. Really, what's going to happen with him? There are two clubs looking at him, according to my newspapers, um, in Barcelona and Juventus, and there are players at those two clubs who I would love at Arsenal. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, so is there an opportunity to do a swap deal? Is there an opportunity to do one loan go one way and have a loan to go the other way and then we work it out in the summer? There are crucial opportunities there. Um, I think, um, you know, centre mid and, and forward is, is the key. Like we've got three centre mids, as you just mentioned so clearly, Elliot. And I think, um, who can we add to be the fourth guy that we're going to need, right? So will you, will you see a Callum Chambers play that role for a while? Uh, someone said to me last night, oh, what do you see a Jack Wilshire Clyde? What do you think? You know, I do think we're sent them in light for a three, four week period. Uh, Patino for me is a little bit early for him to have that responsibility, even to lend end games to the Premier League. Some people disagree, but that's where I am based on what I've seen. So yeah, for me, it, it depends what happens to Aubameyang really. Um, Eddie's now scored his hat-tricks. Everyone's loving him. Will he go early and take a take a hit? I don't think so. I think he'll stay to end of the summer. Um, so, yeah, will we go for loan forward? There's a young kid at Juventus. I said I wouldn't mention any names, but I think he's an interesting player that can play in multiple forward areas. So, um, in Kulisewski, that would be an interesting one. And if Aubameyang was to go the other way, we'll see. Right? So, But that's just um, me speculating. Yeah, I, I, Paul, I don't, I don't want to shut you out of the transfer discussion, even though it is uh, Clive's domain exclusively. Yeah, I don't don't have huge thoughts on it, except that we have actually done something every January window for forever, haven't we? When was the last time we didn't do something loan or otherwise? It, it, it just in general, historically, it's been a pretty relevant window for us. <laughs> yeah, and summer loans, but like one... Let's think through a few of those loans, right? Odegaard, we own the guy. Ceballos, 
uh, I mean, forget our feelings now. We would have, could have owned the guy. And at one stage, we were all pretty interested in thinking about that. So could have gone the other way, right? Had it gone a little better for him. Um, I can mention a couple of other names, but I won't. Um, when did we get uh, Gabby Magliais? Was was he a summer signing? Um, yes. I think so, yes. Yeah. But anyway, the, the we've had a clutch of players come in um, over time through the January window. So... I think like this is a window we use, and as you say, it could be loan to buy or or loan to have a really good look at, and if it works out, we buy them. And then, where's the area of need? Well, the big, a huge part of that is the Aubameyang decision, um, because Lacazette for the second half of the year, and Eddie looking at deals out there. I mean, that's there's a big, big question mark there. So that's probably your best candidate. Um, and we'll learn a lot about a whole bunch of our strikers based on what we do in January, I think. Uh, and the midfield problem gets solved real quick after the AFCON. So do they really want to bring in somebody that by the time they've bedded in and shown the ropes and shown them where the the uh, dressing rooms are and how we play football, uh, the other lads may be back because they got kicked out of the competition early or whatever. Um so, uh, and then the other option is we have our eye on a really talented player for some position in the team, and January is a good time to get him in, warm him up, and have him ready to go in the summer. So, I think we'll, we'll do one in January, and I guess there's always the possibility of two if you get find a Sambi kind of guy, not position wise, just where he's at in his career, and we can get him in early at the right price and warm him up and have him ready for the summer. Yeah, um, I think my my attitude about the transfer situation is made more complicated by the fact that we've now figured out that giving players contracts makes them bad and not giving them contracts makes them good. And I don't know how you manage that in a transfer market. Can you say, please come to our club, but we can't give you a contract? Um, I, th- I Look, I'm not saying it'll work, but I think no contracts for anyone is the policy that we should be looking at going forward. I don't think anyone can disagree with that. Clive, right? Mate, when it comes to this stuff, you're always right. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think um, I think that worked. Well, you did say about Aubameyang, you were one of the first and few to say, are we doing the right thing? So, um, yeah. I think it hasn't quite worked out I, as we I, hoped it would. No, maybe not. I, I do want you to know that I'm clipping the part where you say you're always right about that sort of thing, and, and I'm just going to make that the new intro uh, music. Yeah, for the that's pod. Cool. So, yeah, cool. I know you're quite an humble guy, so it should be no problem for you. Quiet. Um, yes, humble. I, I'm not, it's not that I'm humble. It's that I'm the most humble. <clears throat> so there you go. Hey, a one-hour podcast. That'll do it. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter, pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Yeah, no reason to go long. We're going to have lots of pods coming up with all the games coming up. We're going to have instant reactions still. We're going to have, oh, we did the rewatch. Look, by the way, if you ever thought about Patreon, we got a whole new slew of uh, transfer scouting videos coming out for January. We did a rewatch for leads. Scott is now doing analytics pods that are video pods where he puts graphics and data up on the screen. Um, and Tim is going to be back. That's a reason to stick with us anywhere. But whether you're on the Patreon or you can't do it and you just want to be here, we're so thrilled to have you. The fact that you're here means the world to us. I I call it a community, and it really feels that way because I think meeting everyone in London and online and wherever it is, like, what a great group of people and and it all around a conversation about a club we love that is, I think, quite thankfully, headed in the right direction. So 
Uh, more to follow. Love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Norwich 0. 